Well, good evening, everyone. It's really good to be home. And uh, just as Dad said, when I finished school, I was able to go on a missions trip in uh, South America. And I'm excited to share some pictures and a bit of testimony about that next Sunday night. Um, But it was great to hear... Did that just cut out? Oh, we're good now. Okay. It was great to hear all of the music, and it was great to see Timmy and Toby singing. They looked really adorable doing that. But I got to say, three seconds before the service, Toby was trying to rip the tie off of my neck. Okay? So don't let him fool you. He's still mischievous. Okay? And um, so we're going to take our Bibles tonight and turn to Mark chapter 10. And it's great to see a familiar face from California. Um, Zach is here. Zach and I went to school together for a few years. And um, Zach, you worked in IT, right, when we were at school? So fun fact about Zach, when he's in the IT department, one thing I noticed um, when I went up there, my friend Jake works in IT as well, and Jake is also about this tall, and Zach is this tall, and there's one other guy who works in that office whose name is um, Ben, and he's also that tall, and it seems like they really won't let you work in the ID department if you're over 5'2". And so I don't really know why that is, but my theory is you have to be able to climb inside of some of the computers in order to fix them, and so I really think that's why. But Zach and I also, is that right? You have been inside the computers, right? Yeah. And we've also done some kids rallies together, and those are terrifying. There's like 70, 100,000 kids sitting out there, and you just have to keep them alive. That's the job. But we made it work. So Mark chapter 10, and we're going to be reading in verse 35. And I'm going to go from verse 35 to 45, and then we're going to pray. God's word says in verse, Mark 10, verse 35, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with, shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister." And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for bringing me home safe, Lord. And I just pray that in these next few minutes, Lord, that your word will truly impact hearts. Lord, I pray that it will change lives, Lord, just like I want it to change mine. And Lord, I just pray that you'll fill me with your spirit and help us to understand. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of this message tonight, which I've been very carefully instructed that I have to have a title for the message so that Austin Judge can put it online or something, it is the, the Sons of Thunder and the, Sons of Ma- and the Son of Man. The Sons of Thunder and the Son of Man. So in this passage, we see James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and they go and they make a request of Jesus Christ. So it's really funny because right before this, Jesus has just announced to the disciples what is going to happen to him. In Mark 10, verse 33, it says, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, 
and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. Now, I don't know how much time takes place in between verse 34 and 35. I don't know if there's a long pause, but all I know is that there is no other dialogue that we see here in between 34 and 35. It's almost as if the disciples were so shocked at the prophecy and and what was going to happen to Jesus and how he had just prophesied his own death and told them that he was going to be killed in Jerusalem and then rise from the dead three days later, and they had nothing to say. And you would think that the very next thing that would happen would be some of the disciples going to Jesus and falling on their face and worshiping him. Or maybe perhaps begging him not to give his life or maybe asking him the question if there would be another way. But the only thing that we see happening is a couple of the disciples going and making a very odd request of Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever had secondhand embarrassment, but when I read this passage, I get secondhand embarrassment for James and John. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched one of those shows, one of the talent shows on TV or something where the people want to go and they want to be the next star. And so they're showing off their voice and they're singing in front of thousands of people and then they hit that red X and the whole crowd boos them and thousands of people are disappointed in this person singing and it's really funny and they, and they thought that they were going to be a star just to find out that they didn't have that much talent. And the reason that's entertaining for us to watch that is because you get that second-hand embarrassment. You watch them and you go, I am so embarrassed for that person and I'm so thankful it wasn't me on that stage. Or, or maybe you've got second-hand embarrassment when you've watched somebody else fall flat on their face and, and drop their stuff and fall all over the place and you feel so embarrassed for them. When I read this passage of James and John, I get embarrassed over the question that they ask. So Jesus labeled them a while ago the sons of thunder. Now, I don't find a, a distinct moment in scripture where is why we see that God called them the sons of thunder, but Jesus Christ saw fit to give them that nickname, and I have a feeling it's because of a couple of these instances that we see in scripture where James and John and how they're behaving. There was a time when Jesus and the disciples were looking for a place to stay one night, and unfortunately, they were, they were in an area um, that was inhabited mainly by Samaritans. And as Jesus went and asked for a place to stay, those people, and because of the racial divide at that time between the Samaritans and the Jews, Jesus was turned away as from a place to stay. And James and John asked Jesus if they wanted him to call fire down from heaven and consume the people who said that Jesus couldn't stay there. They were very bold. They were thunderous people, the sons of thunder. It didn't really matter to them. They were, they were strong and they were fierce and they, and they often spoke out of line, just like we see Many of the disciples do, such as Peter. And they ask this very strange request of Jesus. We see in verse 35, or 35, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. It's really interesting that they walked up to Jesus Christ, the very first verse after we see him saying that I am going to die, and they said, we want you to give us whatever we want. That's a really weird thing to ask, that they could have went up to Jesus, who is also the creator of the universe, the the savior of the world, the Messiah, almighty God, and ask something like, how can we serve you better? How can we love you better? Jesus, we know you're about to die. When you die and you raise again, and then you go up into heaven, and we're left here on the earth, how do we serve you better? But instead they said, Jesus, we want you to give us 
whatever we want. And Jesus, in his patience and in his kindness, said, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. They wanted to sit next to Jesus one day when they got to heaven. They wanted to have a seat sitting right next to him where everybody could see them in their position and in their stature, sitting next to the Savior of the world, just two common men. And I know that everybody in this room has the responsibility of being a follower of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus, just as these men had, and they had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, just like you do if you are a child of God. And I think that sometimes, knowing exactly what Jesus Christ did for us, we still make some really weird requests. We make it all about us. And so... Right as we get into this, I just want to talk about a couple things that we need to forget about if we are going to be followers of Jesus Christ. Followers of Jesus Christ that can be trusted, that are faithful, and that Jesus Christ knows we're in it for the right reasons. The first thing that we need to forget about is forget about selfish desires. The first thing that the sons of thunder said to Jesus that we want is give us whatever we want. And we have that attitude sometimes, have it all the time. I think everybody here knows that has had a part in serving the Lord that serving Jesus doesn't always mean that you get to wake up whenever you want to, you get to go to sleep whenever you want to, that you get to do whatever you want, that all the time in the world belongs to you. There's sacrifice involved. We don't always get whatever we want, but it's worth it to serve Jesus Christ. And those selfish desires that we sometimes hold on to and we think that those are the most important things, they're just not. So I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what selfish desires are in your life that you're saying, you know what? I don't think I can serve Jesus until he gives me this. Forget about it. I don't think that I can serve Jesus or follow Jesus until he gives me what I want. It's a poor attitude. Because just as my dad was talking about this morning, he said if the only thing Jesus Christ ever did for us was save us, that should be more than enough. And the disciples were focused on their selfish desires. We would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And sometimes Jesus in his patience and kindness says simply, what is it that you want? He might give it to you, but it might not be what's best for you. We have to forget about our selfish desires. We also have to forget about status. In verse 37, it says, They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, You know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. They wanted status. I have a feeling that the disciples, James and John here, weren't concerned about sitting next to Jesus in his glory so that they could be close to him. I have a feeling that it wasn't about people knowing that they could, that these guys were close to Jesus. I I had a feeling that it, it was simply about they wanted to be seen. They wanted people to know that they were closer to Jesus than anybody else, that they walked with him, they were persecuted with him, they went hungry with him. There was nights when they couldn't sleep just like he couldn't. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be recognized for the struggle that what they went through there on earth so that when they went to heaven, people would say, wow, 
There's Jesus, and there's James, and there's John. They were worried about their status, and it's such a disappointing thing that they would go to Jesus and only be concerned about that. When in Philippians 2, says that Jesus Christ made himself of no reputation. He wasn't concerned about his status or who he was. Jesus Christ simply came to this earth to die and pay the price for our sins. And yet the disciples were concerned about the status that they would have in their own lives. If only they had the attitude of John the Baptist when he saw Jesus coming and he simply said that he must increase but I must decrease. We talked about this with the the teens on Wednesday night that I think Jesus wants to use people who don't quite have all of the qualifications that they should have. Because when something amazing happens in your life and people look at you and go, how did that ever happen through that person? How did did that ever happen? They, They don't have the skills. They don't have the abilities. They don't seemingly have enough. They're nobody That's when people look at the situation and say it was only because of God. And God is not interested in sharing his glory with anybody else. And I don't believe he was interested in sharing the status up in heaven that only he rightfully deserves as our Savior. In Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read those verses in verses 5 and 8, or 5 through 8. God's word says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. I love that video that played this morning saying, what name is worthy? And that name is only Jesus. And as Jesus came to this earth and he made himself of no reputation but took upon him the form of a servant, and yet there are so many of us that spend all of our time focused on making a reputation for ourselves. When not even the God of the universe, when he became flesh, set out to do that very thing. All he wanted to do was to become a servant, become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, And then as a result of that, God highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name. The formula for being exalted in your life does not start with putting yourself out there and achieving status and and being known and being seen and being heard. It starts with being a servant. It starts with humbling yourself. And that is a very difficult lesson for many of us to learn because we seek validation and we want to know that we're loved and we want to know that we're seen and we want to know that we're heard. But if the only person that ever notices that you're serving Christ is Christ, then you won. It doesn't matter who else saw it. It doesn't matter who else appreciated it. It doesn't matter who says good job. It doesn't matter who says thank you for doing that. What matters is looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You have to forget about selfish desires. You have to forget about status. But we have to remember some things too. Remember the struggles. In verse 38, Jesus says to the disciples, he says to James and John, You know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. 
And Jesus said to them, You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with, with shall you be baptized. Jesus was asking them, Are you sure that you can handle the things that I'm supposed to go through? You've been following me for some time now. You know how some of the people respond when I perform miracles and when I heal someone or when I do something that they don't think I should do. They don't respond correctly. And I just finished telling you a few verses ago that when I get to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me because I claim to be the Messiah. Are you sure you're ready for that? And James and John in their arrogance said, we can drink of that same cup. I know another time in scripture where Jesus is talking about a cup. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying to his heavenly father and he says, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Because in just a few moments, he would be betrayed and arrested and forced to carry his own cross to Golgotha or he would be nailed there and crucified for the sins of mankind. And Jesus said to James and John, are you sure you can drink of the same cup that I'm going to drink of? And with confidence, they said yes. And something that is almost haunting to me in these next few verses, Jesus said, you shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. James went on to be martyred for his faith. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he was seen by the witnesses and then he ascended up into heaven shortly after and the disciples were left behind to do the work that Jesus had left them there to do and to go spread the gospel to the entire earth. James went about doing that and he was killed for his faith. And John Scripture records that we believe that John died of old age, but it wasn't before. Some records in history, I don't believe it's in Scripture, but some records in history imply that John was at one point, they attempted to boil him alive and he miraculously escaped. And then as a result of that, he was sent in exile to the Isle of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. I think that sometimes we think that all we're thinking about is our selfish desires and our status. We forget that involved in serving Christ, there is a huge struggle. You know, I I don't know everything. I, I know very little to be exact, but... What I do know that I've watched growing up 21 years in a pastor's home is not always easy to serve Christ. And there's pain and there's heartache. But as we sat at lunch today, Dad wouldn't know that I would repeat this. He wouldn't do anything else. He wouldn't want to serve another God. He wouldn't want to spend his life living for something other than Jesus. And I'm so thankful for that example. But I watched a couple times through the years where It would have been hard not to quit. It would have been hard. There were struggles. Jesus said, You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with, with shall you be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. We have to forget about the status and remember that there are struggles in serving Christ. And if Jesus, even in his humanity, at one point said, let this cup pass from me, there may come a time in your life where you feel like you are dealing with too much and you can't bear it any longer, and I beg you not to quit. But I promise you that if you're focused on your reward is 
the applause of others or a status or, or what you can get out of it, it's going to be very difficult to stay faithful until the end. I think that James and John needed this lesson, needed this conversation with Jesus because they would go on to help turn the world upside down for the cause of Christ because they realized it was not about them. And they had to decide that they would be willing to give their life for the gospel. Now, when we were sitting at school um, the fall of 2020, we were sitting outside and we couldn't sit inside. um, And I know things back home were rough and you guys couldn't meet for church and everything like that. So we we were thankful to be able to have outdoor services. But it got pretty hot outside. Some days it was, I don't know what it is in Canadian, but in American it was about 110 degrees outside. What is that? Do we use Celsius? I get them all confused now because it's hot. It was hot outside. And we were told that we still had to wear our masks outside because if some people from the city would drive by and take pictures of us students, they would submit them to the state and we would lose our privileges to sit outside and even meet for school at all. And then some days the wildfires were going on around in the mountains around and the wind would carry the ash down. You're sitting there under a tent, 110 degrees with a mask on your face with ash falling down around you. And you think to yourself, is it really safer out here than it is inside with the ventilation and whatnot? And it seemed like every single preacher that came through as a guest speaker told us, don't quit school, don't quit school, keep serving Jesus, keep going. And it was like we couldn't preach about anything else, but it was still good. But... They would remind us of something that is really, it's a fact. We're not under much persecution at this point. We may think that it's difficult um, to have to wear a mask in church or that we can only seat this many people, but at this point in time, the people would lose their life for speaking the name of Jesus. And they gladly did it because they believed in their cause. And I don't know if I'm at a point in my life where I can say I would be willing to lose my life for the gospel of Jesus Christ and I don't want to dial it up and pretend like I'm more spiritual than I am, it's a scary thought and something that we all have to consider but I think we need to ask ourselves that question because what does it take to stop you from serving God to begin with because some of us aren't even willing to give our time to serve the Lord, not to mention our life. And if we can't give our time, if we can't give ourselves, if we can't give to others, if we can't love like Christ said to, if we can't do the simple things, I wonder how we'll ever face the difficult things. Remember the struggles and remember something else. In verse verse 42, I'll read, But Jesus called them and says unto them, You know that... They which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Remember the Son of Man. I think that title is really interesting because just as we saw um, of all the names of Christ and who he really is, his everlasting God, Messiah, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, and yet he chose to call himself the Son of Man more than he ever called himself the Son of God in the Gospels. Say, well, why is that? 
He could have walked around pronouncing himself as the son of almighty God and that no doubt would have earned him a little bit more respect than the respect he got as he traveled around. Because yes, people wanted to talk to Jesus as long as he was healing and as long as he was providing food and as long as he was performing miracles and as long as he was showing himself to be the son of God. But many times he referred to himself as the son of man. You know why that is? Because he was a human being. And he came from heaven, he placed himself on our level, and he went through the same struggles that we went through so that he could relate to us and show us how much he loved us and how much he was willing to go through so that you and I could have a relationship with him. He called himself the Son of Man. And we see in verse 42, "...ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them." Verse 44, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. I think it's amazing. I'm sure you've heard this before. But they say that Christianity and the God of the Bible and Jesus Christ is the only God in the world that died for his people. And when I was in Guyana, there's a huge melting pot of cultures there. A lot of people think that it's mainly a Hispanic culture. But there wasn't many Hispanic people. It was mainly African Americans and Indians And those practicing um, the Muslim religion. And so as you would drive down, you would see this massive Hindu statues here. And you would see the, um, the temple here for the Muslims. And you would see a Baptist church down here. And you would see the, the, the church of Christ over here. They had it all. And a lady from the church was telling me that it's very sometimes, it's sometimes it's difficult to witness to the Hindu people because they simply believe that Jesus Christ was another God, another good man, a good prophet that they can believe in as well as their thousands of other gods. And they've shown pictures of when they've had disasters and flooding and, and these terrible things happen to them, those people gathering up their gods from their home and fleeing the home, hoping that they wouldn't lose their gods that can do absolutely nothing for them. And yet our God has done more than we could ever imagine for us. And we pretend like it's nothing. And we'll leave him at the drop of a hat. And they said there that when you witness to a Hindu, the one of the ways that you can tell that they're truly saved is when they accept Christ as their Savior and they make a profession of faith. The lady said she, she was witnessing to someone else. And, this, and she said to the lady, now are you ready for me to come over to your house tomorrow? And help you get rid of your idols in your house. Because in order for her to be saved, she had to realize that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by him. And that lady said yes. She went over to her home and helped her clear out thousands of gods from her home. Small g. The little statues that she had been praying to and placing her faith in for years upon years upon years upon years. They gathered them up and they threw them away because the only God she needed was Jesus. It was an incredible picture, I think, there of the fact that the Son of Man chose to die for us and chose to serve us. And he said, as you see in your culture, that they say the greatest person exercises lordship over everybody else. He's always in charge. He's always leading. He's always commanding. He's always directing. But that is not how it's going to be when you're a follower of Christ. When you follow me, you're going to be the servant of all. No, I think a lot of people don't want to follow Christ because that means 
My life is now for other people, and it's to please God. Jesus gave this ultimate example in John chapter 13 when we know this incredible story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. You know who was seated at that table at that time? Judas. The man who very shortly after would betray him and send him to his death. And who else was at that table was Peter. Someone who would deny him as he was hanging on the cross. And Jesus got down on his hands and his knees and he washed their feet. Because it didn't matter who they were. Fact was, the Son of Man was servant of all. So if you're going to be a proper follower of Jesus, I want you to remember the struggles, remember the Son of Man, remember his example. Service to the Lord has nothing to do with ourselves. It has everything to do with the two greatest commandments, to love God with everything and to love thy neighbor as thyself. And if Jesus could get down on his hands and knees and wash the feet of the very man who would betray him and of the man who would deny him, and show that kind of servanthood and love, how dare we ever decide that we won't serve another person? Because Jesus would. Remember the struggles. Remember the Son of Man. Remember your salvation. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45 or 44, Whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all, but even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That's why he came. That's why Jesus Christ, that's why, that's why in just a few days we're going to celebrate, celebrate Christmas and it's going to be great. We're going to open up gifts. We're going to spend time with family. But shame on us if we forget the fact that he came was to seek and to save those who were lost. And if you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you've accepted the greatest gift, the most inclusive gift, the most powerful gift, an everlasting gift that you do not deserve. Now, uh, last year, some friends and I got to record a song for the, for the college album. It's called Remind Me of the Cross. It's working through the lyrics. It says, When I think of your mercy how you love someone like me. I'm amazed at your goodness and it brings me to my knees. And when life takes its toll, if it's not well with my soul, Lord, bring me back to Calvary. Remind me of the thorns you wore as a crown. Remind me of the nails and the blood flowing down. The nails and the weight of my sin and should a day ever come when I forget what true love really cost, remind me of the cross. If you're struggling to serve Christ and you're looking for a reason why, take a moment and remember your salvation. Take a moment and remember who you were before Christ. And if you got saved at a young age, praise the Lord. But take a moment and remember what you could be without Christ because Scripture is very clear that we're just dead in our sins, headed to a place called hell for all eternity. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm done. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9, God's word says, as soon as I find it, God's word will say. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, the Bible says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is working down a list of some people that do not deserve to go to heaven. And I don't know if you read through that list and study the definitions of those words there. The unrighteous, fornicators, idolaters, effeminate, abusers of themselves, thieves, covetous, drunkards, all of those people don't deserve to go to heaven, but it starts with the unrighteous. And there is none righteous, no, not one. But some of the most amazing verses that I can find in Scripture follow up here. It says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed. Ye are sanctified. Ye are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And by the way, if you don't know what justified means, it means declared righteous. So each and every one of us that we're unrighteous that we see, and we don't deserve the kingdom of God because we had fallen short of God's glory When Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the price for your sin and you accepted that gift of salvation, one day when you stand before God, he's going to say he's justified. And no, he may not be righteous, but I'm going to declare him righteous because I paid the price for his sin and nobody else can tell me that he's condemned because he belongs to me and that's my child. And it doesn't matter if they've spent their entire lifetime after they accepted my gift of salvation, turning their back on me and living however they want and following their selfish desires and chasing after status and refusing to acknowledge everything I've done for them. They're washed. They're sanctified. And they're going to heaven with me. So if you're struggling to look for a reason as to why you should be a proper follower of Jesus Christ, Forget about a few things. Forget about those selfish desires. Forget about the status. You have to remember that there are struggles and push through because serving Christ is worth it. You have to remember the example of the Son of Man and everything he's done for us and everything he's done for others. And remember your salvation. Because if you're saved, you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You don't belong to you anymore. And you better be thankful because you don't know what to do with your life. God gave us a greater purpose than we could ever imagine. And without him, we're nothing. And we should not let that feeling of nothingness and how we're nothing without Christ and he is the vine, we're the branch. Without him, we can do nothing. We shouldn't let that drive us to feelings of inadequacy, but we should let that drive us to feelings of thankfulness and worship towards our God who chose to use us anyway. We're going to have to forget about some things. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, remember who he is, remember everything he's done for you, You'll be a step ahead of James and John at this point in time. And God used them in a mighty way, but they were willing to give everything. What are you willing to give in order to serve Christ? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be here tonight. Lord, I thank you for your gift of mercy and your salvation and your example, Lord. I pray that we live it out in our everyday lives. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.